Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord, everybody. Oh, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The night psalm said, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Is that what you've come to do? I've come to lift him up with everything I have. For he's worthy of our praise. Somebody ought to just shout hallelujah. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah one more time. Amen. There is nothing like the presence of the Lord. Psalm 16 and 11 said, In his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so I'm so grateful for the Holy Ghost that we can feel here today. And it is such a privilege to be at Hatchbin again. We just love each and every one of you so very much. We give honor to Brother Sister Boyd and to all the ministry of this great church. Happy that Shiloh is with me. And so I got my shouting partner alongside. And, uh, just uh, a few weeks ago, we were in service and they were calling me up. And so I had my Bible and I was sitting right beside them and he said, I need to tell you something real fast. And so they're calling my name. And he grabs a hold of me and pulls me down. He says, Dad, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. Lean all the way down. He says, you better preach good. <laughs> so somebody may be thinking the same thing right now. I hope he's going to preach good. If you have your Bibles, let's open and let's read from Ezekiel, the 18th chapter. We're going to read verses 31 and 32. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses number 31 and 32. And the Bible tells us this. It says, Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. He said, why will you die? Then in verse number 32, he said, turn and live. And that's what I want to speak to us on. I want to preach to us on this subject. Cancel the funeral and choose to live. Cancel the funeral and choose to live. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? Let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we have felt your presence in this place. 
God, you have anointed the singers and you've anointed the musicians and every word that has been spoken. And now we are asking that you would speak to us from your word. God, speak to us with certainty and clarity and conviction. Let your word encourage, empower, equip, and endow. And we give you all praise, give you all glory, and give you all honor in the name that's above every other name. In the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Well, this chapter begins with a principle that's found throughout the scriptures. Really, it is the framework and the foundation of why we need a Savior. It was the reason why Christ came to this world. And beginning at the fourth verse of this 18th chapter, the prophet Ezekiel said these words. He said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. He references that again in verse number 20 by saying the same exact thing. The soul that sinneth it shall die. When, when mankind sinned and ate that forbidden fruit years ago at the dawn of creation, that is the moment that sin and death entered into the world. James chapter 1 and verse number 15 tells us that sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. Uh, and yet that principle is not limited to Adam and Eve. It still rings true here in 2022 that the soul that sinneth it shall die. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Uh, and we don't have to wonder who it is that has sinned among us. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yet what leaves me so amazed and astounded and completely in awe is that from the very onset God had a plan. In the very beginning, the Lord still had something in store for you and for me. Revelation 13 and 8 tells us that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When I made my last mistake, he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The last time that you stumbled and fell, he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When we committed our first sin and we stole the cookies out of the cookie jar, he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When mama asked you, did you eat the double stuffed Oreos? And when we told our first lie, and said, no, that wasn't me, that was my brother. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before we took our first breath, before we spoke our first words, before we made our first mistake, he was still the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before the birds ever 
chirped, before the ocean waves first roared, before the sun first shined, and before the moon first glowed. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's comforting to know that the God that you and I serve, he is all wise, he is all knowing, he is all sufficient, and he is all powerful. There is nobody that can compare to him. There is nobody that can take his place. There is no monarch because he is the king of kings. There is no superstar because he is the bright and he is the morning star. There's no political leader that can compare because he's Zion's righteous governor. He is in a class all by himself. Psalm 147 and 4 tells us that he named every star. Matthew 6 and 30 tells us that he clothed the grass of the field. Isaiah 11 and 4 says, With the breath of his lips he slays the wicked. Psalm 65 and 2 says he hears our prayer. Isaiah 38 and 5 says he sees our tears. Psalm 37 and 13 said he laughs at the wicked. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says he's pleased by preaching. Psalm 22 and 3 says he inhabits our praise. But that leads us to the ultimate cultivation of why he came. Romans 5 and 8 says he died for sinners. We can speak about the greatness of his power and what he can do, how he can form the stars and he can make the mountains grow tall. But yet the reason why he came was not for the mountains and it wasn't for the oceans. The reason why he came was not for the trees of the field or for the fish in the sea. But the reason why he came is because he died for those that needed to be saved. Uh, the old saying rings true that he loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. He cringes at the sin, but he shows compassion to the sinner. He's frustrated at the sin, but he gives forgiveness to the sinner. He grieves at the sin, but he extends grace to the sinner. That's the one that we come to worship here today. And that is what the prophet was trying to get the children of Israel to understand in our text. Oh, if we can just comprehend, if we can just understand, if it's possible that we can even fathom in our minds that we don't have to die, that we don't have to perish lost because there is a great God in heaven that loves us when we are unlovable. There is a great God, sovereign of the universe, that cares for us when nobody else cares. He believes in us when we don't even believe in ourselves. 
He's the one that picks us up when we are down. He lifts us up when we are low. He heals us when we are sick. He fixes us when we are broken. Uh, he enlightens us when we are confused. He finds us when we are lost. And he keeps us when we are saved. That's the power that he possesses. Oh, if we could just understand, if we could just let the world know exactly what you could be saved from. It's more than just a simple religious experience, but oh, just to tell somebody what Jesus saves us from. He saves us from calamity and confusion and catastrophe. He saves us from torture and torment and turmoil. He saves us from misery and mistakes and misfortune. He saves you from ruins and regrets and remorse. He saves you from pitfalls and perils and punishments. He saves us even though we are unworthy. He saves even though we are unqualified. He saves even though we are unfit and unsuited. He wants us to live with him. It's no wonder why Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, he said, the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life. Come on, Bible readers. And that you might have it more abundantly. He doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't want us to suffer by ourselves. He has come that we might have that abundant life that only comes from him. We see it over and over again in the Bible and sometimes in the most awful of situations it's really seen. I think about somebody who seemingly lost it all. And perhaps no greater example we have in all of the word of God than in Job. Job, the poor man who lost nearly everything. Job, the one whose children died. His health failed. His money was gone. His house was destroyed. His friends forsook him. His popularity was eradicated. And to make matters worse, now his wife had lost faith. And as Job is sitting by the wayside with boils all over his body, with his money completely gone, with no hope in store for the future, seemingly no light at the end of the tunnel and he begins to hear his wife begin to speak and as he is there he listens to what she has to say in Job 2 and 9 and she turns and emphatically declares to him Job there's only one option remaining Job there's only one thing that you can do this is what you just need to settle in your heart Job curse God and die and I don't know how long the pause was we're not exactly sure how long the silence lingered 
But after the moment had come and after the moment had gone, Job responds back and tells her this. It's God that gives and it's God that takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, he said, I know you're already preparing my eulogy. You're already ordering my graveside flowers. You're already making funeral arrangements for me. But I've come to tell you, you just need to cancel the funeral because I'm not ready to go just yet. Job 19 and 25, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And even if the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Don't count me out just yet. I know the night is dark and the days feel long, but I've got a reason to live. I've got a reason to get up in the morning. I know that I've shed some tears and I've wept and I cried, but I'm not ready to throw in the towel just yet. I'm not ready to wave the white flag of surrenderance just yet. My mind is made up. I know who I believe in. I know where my trust is. I know there's somebody I can depend upon. I can rely upon and I can lean on. And even when the days get dark and dreary, I know there's somebody who walks with me. There's somebody who talks with me. The songwriter said he'll tell you you are his own. Sometimes we have to stand up and square our shoulders and lift our head up high and say, I don't know why it happened. I don't know why life has taken me down this curve. I don't know why all of this has befallen me. But it was the Apostle Paul that wrote in Romans 8.35. He said, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 37, he said, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature no man no woman no house no car no job no employment no employer and no employee can separate me from the love of Christ it cannot separate me from the love of God The prophet said in Joel 3.10, he said, let the weak say, I am strong. We can take it a step further. Let the sick say, I am healed. Let the bound say, I am free. And let the dying say, I will live. I'm not ready to give up just yet. Don't finish that eulogy just yet. I still got some life in me. Uh, my last chapter hasn't been written yet. My book is not complete. My story in this life is not over. We, we see it happening times when it looks like all is said and done. 
John chapter 11, word comes to Jesus that he needs to pray for Lazarus. And by the time Jesus comes, Lazarus has already died, been gone for four days. And as Jesus walks towards the family, the sister of Lazarus comes running out. When she falls down at his feet, she said, If you would have been here earlier, my brother would not have died. And Jesus said, Your brother's going to rise again. And she immediately said, Well, I, I know he is in the resurrection. But Jesus wasn't talking about the past, and he wasn't talking about the future, he was talking about the present. John eleven twenty five. 25, it says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I'm going to go and I'm going to pray for Lazarus. Take me to the tomb to where he is. And so together they start walking towards this tomb and as Jesus is walking, he's overcome with emotion. That's what I really love about the Lord. He shows us by example. He starts to weep and to cry. John eleven thirty five is the Bible quizzer's favorite verse. Jesus wept. Even elders can remember that verse. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. But he showed us that. Life has a way of bringing you down. It doesn't make you weak when you cry. It doesn't make you insecure when you begin to weep because life has a way of bringing you to some low moments. Life has a way of bringing you to some dark places. And Jesus just continues on with this journey. And now they arrive at the tomb of Lazarus. Family members are there and so many are watching and waiting to see what's getting ready to transpire. Jesus says, roll back the stone. Are you sure that's what you need to do? He's been gone for four days. And Jesus responded by saying this in John 11 and 40. He said, if you would believe, you could see the glory of God. Hey, Hatchbin, can I preach to somebody this morning? If we believe, we can still see the glory of God. There's nothing too hard. There's nothing too difficult. There's nothing too complicated for him. There's no problem that he can't fix. There's no circumstance that he cannot change. Uh, there's no kind of bondage that he cannot break. He said, if you would believe, you can see the glory of God. Can you imagine as they come to this tomb and they see this stone and together they begin to push with all of their might, with every ounce of energy inside them, they begin to roll back that stone from the tomb. When they did that, Jesus simply cried out with a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And would you believe here comes Lazarus walking out of the tomb, still in his grave clothes. And Jesus says, you can loose him and let him go. 
You know, I think he was trying to tell us something. That even when we feel like we've been buried in the tomb of our lives, when it seems like the darkness is never going to change to light, when it seems like the sadness is never going to leave, when it seems like the discouragement is never going to change, we can decide that I don't have to die in this tomb. I don't have to die in a state of discouragement. I don't have to die in a state of confusion. I don't have to remain in stagnant faith, but I can come out of this. I don't have to... I don't have to be buried here. This doesn't have to be the end. Lazarus, you can cancel the funeral. You can live. Hey, friend of mine, no matter what's going on in your life, don't let the enemy have the last laugh. Don't just hang up and give it all up. Just be willing to say, I'm not going to die in this, but I'm going to live. I'm not going to stay here forever because I'm going to live. Oh, hallelujah. Just go ahead and cancel the funeral. Go ahead and cancel the funeral because I'm going to live. See, it was years ago, and I'm not going to be too much longer, but it was years ago in Indianapolis, there was a historic church named Christ Temple. If you study church history and apostolic faith, you've likely run across that name. Pastored by the great Bishop G.T. Haywood. They had a legacy of prayer and of faith. There was one sister in particular who was known throughout Indianapolis and her name was Mildred Boyd. With a name like that, you knew she had to be the real deal, huh? Mildred Boyd. You could find her in the sanctuary praying all hours of the day. Christ Temple who had 24 hours, 7 days a week prayer. And most of the time when you went in, Sister Boyd would be in the sanctuary praying. Somewhere away from the spotlight in a corner, she would be kneeling and calling on the name of Jesus. She raised her family in the church, raised her son. But for some reason, her son Otis had drifted away, got involved with the wrong people and stepped out of the ark of safety. So Sister Boyd would constantly be in prayer for her son. And it just so happened late one night she was at home by herself, asleep, and the phone rang. The infamous phone call that every parent would dread to hear. And when she picked up the other end, when she picked up the phone on the other end of the line was the coroner. Down in the downtown Marion County at I said, may I speak to Mildred Boyd? And she said, this, this is her. How can I help you? And he said, we need you to come down and identify your body. And so she called one of her prayer partners and said, I need somebody to go with me. And so they took the journey downtown, went to the morgue, stepped into that frigid place. It was more than cold in temperature. It was cold in life. And she walked into that morgue and there at the corner and met her and said, Ma'am, because of the condition of this death, 
We need you to identify the body which we believe is your son, Otis. He said, I, I want to give you a heads up. The Otis was involved in a gang fight. He was stabbed repeatedly over and over throughout his whole body. And so if you're willing, we just need you just for a moment to look and identify him so we can finish processing him in. And so Sister Boyd stood there as they pulled that drawer out of that wall and had the sheet draped over the body. And the coroner said, ma'am, take as much time as you want. And pulled the sheet back and there laid her son, lifeless, covered with, covered with all of these wounds and these stab wounds all over it. Sister Boyd stood there and looked at her son with tears streaming down her face. She looked over at the coroner and said, Is it okay if I just touch him? Sure, whatever you need to do, we're here in any way. Then she leaned back over and said, Is it okay if I pray for him? You could tell the coroner was a little startled by that request and so, well, whatever coping mechanism you need, just go ahead and pray. And Sister Boyd stood there with her friend beside her and took her frail hand and placed it on the head of her son and said a simple prayer that wasn't long. It was really rather short. But as she began to pray, she said, In the name of Jesus, I dedicated this child to you years ago and I asked that he would not die lost. Lord, if you would grant me this favor, let there be life come back to my son. And when she prayed that prayer, Otis sat up where he was sitting. And when Otis sat up, the coroner ran over and said, Ma'am, I just want to let you know sometimes bodies do things a little, a little unorthodox. And when he said that, Otis looked over at him and said, Where am I at? I want to go home. And Sister Boy said, Come on, son, we're going home. Grabbed him by the hand and started walking out the door. The coroner stopped him and said, I don't know if I can release him. We already have his death certificate. She said, I got his birth certificate at home. I'll just go ahead and take the death certificate. And so she would come and preach and she would hold his birth certificate up. Then she'd say, come on, Otis. And Otis would walk on the platform. She'd say, here's his birth certificate and here's his death certificate. But we canceled the funeral because there's still a life that needs to be saved. Oh, I wonder if some of us would have just a measure of that faith and would say, no, my family's not going to die lost. No, there's going to be prodigals that are going to come back home. Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost. Hey, come on, Hatchbin. There's youth groups that need to come on back to the Lord. There's sons and daughters that need to come on Go ahead and cancel the funeral. They're coming back. Come on, cancel the funeral. There's still a revival that's going to happen at Hatchbend. Cancel the funeral. There's still a harvest of souls that are going to be saved in this church. 
Somebody ought to raise your hands to the Lord. Somebody ought to lift your voice to him for a moment. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.